Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today on the show, can you split a toaster online? Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Seth Nelson, and as always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, we're thrilled to welcome Susan Guthrie, a top family law and mediation attorney who's possibly more important, a legal top podcaster, Pete. We got the real deal here today. Aces. A- Aces all the way around. She's a leading dispute resolution professional. We'll explain those legal terms for you later, Pete. And she serves as executive counsel on the American Bar Association section of dispute resolution as the member of the officer and of the co-chair of the Mediation Committee in Annual Advanced Mediation Skills Institute. There's a lot going on there, There's so many words. So many words. (laughs) To date, this is a big number, Pete. To date, more than 17,000 dispute resolution professionals have benefited from her program through Learn to Mediate Online. And she's the host of both the Divorce and Beyond podcast and Learn to Mediate Online podcast. My new BFF, (laughs) Susan Guthrie. (laughs) Welcome to the toaster. Thank you so much for having me, guys. I'm so happy to be here, especially with welcomes like that. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So many words. You are very big. How do you have time for us? Well, you know, I squeezed you in between a podcast episode <laughs> and a Mediation Institute planning committee meeting. So it's that's just beautiful. Busy. It's just beautiful. Can we can we talk a little bit about what got you here? Because you you were doing this professionally for couples, right? You were working in the field of the law and mediation yourself. And then somehow you ended up deciding to that, that it was your time to teach. How did, how did that happen? It really happened because of COVID. Um, like many people, I went through some shifts or really what happened is my colleagues had to shift um, with the advent of COVID. So I had become an online practitioner several years ago when I was started moving around the country and I started working with people doing mediation online and others, some, you know, a couple of colleagues thought, oh, that sounds quirky and different. Can you tell me how to do it? So I created a program and then COVID hit. That's what you always want to hear. <laughs> yeah. Gonna, yeah, quirky that sounds quirky and different. And different. <laughs> they love quirky and different. We're so adaptable it, and open to new ideas. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> meanwhile, check me in March 2021 and see if it's still quirky and different. <laughs> well, now it's the norm. I got, I, you know, I was in the yeah. right place at the right time. But, you know, a year ago right now, mediators, attorneys, professionals panicked. They suddenly were so used to meeting with clients in person. Everything they did was in person and they didn't know what the hell they were going to do because they couldn't be in person anymore. So suddenly my phone and my email started to blow up with, hey, wait, you're already online. You've got to show me how to do that. And suddenly I was literally doing webinars twice a day, seven days a week for 500 people at a time. Uh, because wow. the demand and, and with people from all over the world, um, I was, I had translators, I had people, you know, I was in Brazil in the morning and Italy in the afternoon. Um, it, and that's, that's how we that's got much to how I spend my day, Susan, <laughs> is I start in Brazil in the morning, 
And then I end up in Italy in the afternoon. If only the food had come along with it, I would have been very happy. But unfortunately, right. I was just beaming in. Um, but, you know, I, I, I loved it. I found that helping colleagues to expand their horizons, learn new ways of doing things um, really appealed to me. And from that, I've moved now into the training for mediation itself, not just online mediation for collaborative law. And uh, I've teamed up with Woody Mostyn, who's one of the leading names in family mediation. And we've started an academy. Um, so it's very exciting. But that shift really came because the world, my world, suddenly needed the knowledge. That's fascinating. I, I don't want to out anybody, uh, but what was hard for them about making this transition? Where did you find your services and your education were most helpful? And if you have any stories about people showing up as cat avatars, I'll take them. Happens all the time. <laughs> And now she gets to bash lawyers. This is going to be good. This is going to be fun. Yeah. (laughs) As we all know, and as I alluded to earlier, attorneys tend to be very open minded about trying new things and doing things in ways that they haven't done them before. Said no attorney ever. Yeah, it is absolutely (laughs) not true. 100% not true. Attorneys hate to look stupid. They hate to look like they don't know what they're doing. And to pile on top of that, if they don't look like they know what they're doing in front of their clients, they, I mean, they'd rather walk through hell than, than have that happen. So the panic that occurred was for both advocates, attorneys, in going to court online, going to mediation sessions online, as well as the mediators, the arbitrators, Everybody was worried about adding this layer of technology and not understanding how it worked, not doing it well, not being able to be, you know, do be as competent and on top of things as we are paid to do, whether we actually are or we aren't. And so there there was literally that feeling of panic. Isn't there also the struggle as they're trying to figure out how to build their client for being in Brazil in the morning and Italy in the afternoon without having the billable hours and the flights? Well, but what they let's be honest. Yeah, and there's that. But then what they quickly learned is they can multitask if they're online. And so attorneys can double bill. <laughs> is that a chapter in your training? That's it is fantastic. Not. It is not. And I don't highly recommend it. But as an example, people might be in a day-long mediation. Where if you're sitting in a conference room with your client and the mediator goes to another conference room to talk to, you know, the other side, you're just sitting there shooting the breeze with your client filling the time. But if you're online and in your office or in your home office, you can actually work on something else and it's billable time and they're off doing something else. So. There, there were some benefits that became apparent. I just had this conversation with a with a with a client about that because we were online doing a mediation. And what I would ask the client is, we're now waiting. There's some stuff that we need to talk about when they're in the other room, and we can kind of go through that process. And to your point, I said, would you like me to stop the clock and I'll pick up another file? And when the mediator comes back in, boom, or if I have an idea, I'll kind of click back and forth. And of course, I was like, yeah, that's great. Because at some levels, when you're in a mediation and the mediator's in the other room, or in our case, the virtual room, 
there's work for me to do with my client, Pete. Like we got to prepare what they might do a counter offer or we're left to go find some documents or we're working on the parenting plan. But after that's completed and you're just literally waiting to hear what the meteor has to say, there is some downtime and there's a skill set for the lawyer to keep the client engaged in a mediation like that and not let them wander off or go talk to someone they shouldn't and throw things off to the side. But it is much different when you're sitting here on Zoom doing a mediation than when you're in a conference room and you're just totally focused all day. There's there's a lot of distractions. Now, personally, I'm not good at multitasking. I think it takes a lot to do something one thing at a time very well. And that's why I focus. Other people have the ability to do it. It's just not me. But Susan, have you seen that same experience with your people you're coaching and your uh, lawyers that you're working with? Absolutely. You know, it's it's pretty common. And if you think about the benefit is flowing in, in a few different ways there. And this is one of the reasons why clients are also fond of the online mediation platform because of that ability to stop the clock. You know, if your attorney is in court all day waiting out in the hallway for your case to be called, that client's getting billed for that time. The attorney may be talking to another attorney who happens to be there about the another case. But in general, if they're in court all day or if they're sitting in a mediation all day, you're getting billed for that entire day. And so one thing that clients of the many benefits of, of the virtual platform met one of the things the clients like is that their attorney isn't constantly on the clock and has that ability to go and manage other things or do other things. In fact, many, you know, day long mediations that where, you know, it's going to be that if you know, as the mediator, that you're going to be with one side for quite an extended time, often we'll give a day or an hour pass or a two hour pass to the other side to log off and go, you know, get lunch or go do something else, take the kids to ballet class, whatever they need to do. Um, so that it, it doesn't even have to be multitasking. It can just be compartmentalized time. You said something there that I think is important for us to to pivot to if now is an okay time, uh, which is uh, the benefits of moving mediation online. It sounds to me like uh, from your perspective, there are a lot of unrealized benefits moving online that we just never had when we were doing it, uh, you know, face to face. Is this something that that feels like a a wave a trend that we're going to continue because there are so many just fantastic joys of mediation and zoom you know that it's one of those things that i have to say i was a big fan of online or virtual mediations long before covid ever came along and social distancing became the reason for it Um, and one of the things that we've found we've actually done a lot of studies lately and surveys of mediators and asked well once we go past the need for social distancing once covid is hopefully ever over in our lives Will you go back to in-person mediations? And 100% of our over 2,000 respondents said, I will either continue to offer my services both virtually and in person, or a large majority, majority said, I plan to stay entirely online. And nobody said, I'm going to go back to in-person alone. And that to me says the benefits far exceed social distancing, safety. Right. Pete, think of this in, we'll just give you a choice, right? Yeah. You have to go to a mediation. You're stressed out. You know, you're going to be there all day. Would you rather 
get in your car, drive downtown, find parking, go up to a conference room where you've never been before. Even if you have at your lawyer's office, like it's just not your home environment or sit at your kitchen table or on your couch. It makes the it makes the former seem really old fashioned at this <laughs> right. point. Right. Yeah. What do, and, and so that that's uh, from a client perspective, it seems like I I would not choose like 100 percent of the time. I would not choose to be face to face. I would rather be in the safe space of my kitchen table where I'm comfortable, where my anxiety is reduced in some way, maybe not in every way. Uh, it seems like it's a, it's a real win. Seth, are you going to are you uh, you're going to go back to face to face 100 percent of the time, given all that now? Only if it's you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it is a client choice. I have found and I am pretty tech savvy for a lawyer. Let's just qualify that compared to you, Pete. <laughs> but um, I, I think these online meetings that I have with my clients via Zoom, where I can just bring up a document and we can edit it in real time and they can see it on the screen, on a share screen, all of these type of things have been extremely beneficial to helping improve the communication that I am having with clients and clients are having with me, which then saves time, money, and gets better outcomes. Um, also, the as we've talked about before, people's personalities are heightened when it comes to divorce and stressful situations. So if someone is anxious, they're going to be hyper-anxious. And to your point, if we can mitigate that a little bit by being in a comfortable home environment where they have frankly, some control, right? They can control the temperature in their house. They can control what they're eating or is in their fridge. There's all these just kind of basic, what I call comforts that they have that you don't get sitting at a stuffy conference room. Yeah. I mean, it's actually the neuroscience of working with people online and the ability to communicate. Everybody thinks that because you're online, communication is lesser. It is not as good as when you're in person. Oh, you're you're not going to see the body language. But in fact, studies show because 55% of our communication is actually facial expression. What's better than this platform that we're on right now where we're all seeing each other from the neck up or or a little bit more, you're seeing every nuance of emotion that splits across somebody's mm-hmm. face, the tightening of the eyes, the lines around the mouth as they deepen. Um, and they've also, you know, neuroscience has shown that conflict is going to happen, right? The, there's going to be a raising of cortisol and the, the stress hormones when you put two people in a room, whether it be virtual or not, um, to talk about the issues of their divorce. I love that Seth says their personalities are amplified. You know, yes, the emotions are going to yeah. go up. But it, studies have shown that when you are virtual, the the level of the hormones don't go as high. You can still have stress, but it's not going to be ramped up as high as it is when you are sitting across a conference table from each other, which means for us as their mediators or their lawyers, we are able to work with our clients in a place, in a space where they're more open to hearing what's being said and thinking reasonably and making reasoned decisions. Um, when people are hijacked by their emotions, that whole amygdala lizard brain thing, they're not really thinking very clearly. And that makes our job hard um, when they're able to keep that emotion under control, which they're much more able to regulate online. They're able to think things through much more clearly. 
And that actually makes the process move more quickly. Well, that was actually my next question. There, there We've been doing this a year longer now. Uh, are there any sort of stats that tell us that mediations are resolved more quickly online versus face-to-face? You know, they only, I, I only know anecdotally um, what I hear from, I know my own experience now having been an online mediator for five or six years, definitely. So as a divorce mediator, I tend to work in sequential sessions. I do two hour sessions and the clients will come back, um, you know, once a week for two hours at a time. Um, and it used to take five to seven you know, on average, it it varies Mm -hmm. for every couple, right? But since I've moved to an online platform, we've eliminated one or two of those sessions. It just will move. It's a more streamlined process. Part of that is because we also visually process things um, through what we can see. So as Seth mentioned, being able to put documents up on the screen that we're all looking at the same thing, being able to put financial calculations on the screen so that we can talk about things. We we process that more quickly and easily so they can move to the decision-making more quickly. I also regularly survey those 17,000 professionals who come from all different fields of law um, to find out what their experience of online or virtual proceedings has been. And again, anecdotally through those surveys, most feel that the process is less emotionally charged and more streamlined. Do you get feedback from those that you have taught about their experience having gone through your program, through learning to mediate online and get to see sort of how the profession is evolving and moving forward? Yeah, I'm lucky because my my people who have taken my program, I think it's because they were so concerned about how they were going to continue to to make an a living. Make a living. Yeah. Right, you know, right. They went from you know a full slate of meetings to nothing um, without being able to go online. And so because they felt that I helped them in that scary time or that difficult time, they tend to reach out to me fairly often. I get a daily inbox that's full of, hey, Susan just did my 50th virtual mediation. Hey, Susan just did a five-day long arbitration, went beautifully. You know, I get a lot of that. And I do not get, hey, Susan just went online and it sucked or that didn't go well or I hated that. I hardly ever hear that. On that front, it is different. Trying a case or going to a mediation virtually is different. You don't have that big moment that I play in my head all the time, Pete, where I bring out the smoking gun document. And when I'm in court, I hand it to them. And in my head, since there's no music in court, I hear dun, dun, dun. 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 Like, oh, yeah. you know. <laughs> but in, in online, in virtual trials, which I've been in, in virtual mediations, it is just a gift, different skill skill set where you are almost, I think, really have to be uber prepared. And I'm a guy that likes to prepare, but I need to make sure that my technology enhances the presentation and does not hurt my presentation. So I will have all my exhibits open in whatever program I'm using so I can just click on them. I'm not going to search through my file system to find them. Yeah. Right. Especially when you're sharing screens and now you have all this other like I am really focused on what is in the, my 
little Hollywood square box just dated myself, right? And (laughs) what will the judge see and what will the witness see? And that's all part of it, okay? And to really listen. There are things that happen on online trials that don't have any chance of happening in court. For example, when the witness says, well, yeah, well, according to my notes, and I'm like, excuse me, Your Honor, sorry to object. I would like you to inquire of the witness, what is she looking at? And the judge will say, ma'am, what are you looking at? Well, I'm looking at the, I'm making this up. I'm looking at the document, the contract that has my notes written on it. Your Honor, Mr. Nelson, I've got it. Ma'am, you have to put that away. You can only look at the contract. But my notes are on there. Like, that doesn't happen in court. You're not allowed to bring your notes, right? And this, the witness that that I'm talking about wasn't trying to do anything wrong, was actually trying to give truthful answers, but just needed to remember what they were going to say or what it meant. And it's all sorts of stuff like that that you really need to listen because I am not going to know whether there are notes sitting on that desk. Wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Just a wait, point of order. Uh, may it please the court. You're telling me that you, if I was a witness in a real courtroom, I'm not allowed to have any notes in front of me. Susan, take it away. No, you're not. No. <laughs> the, All right. I'm saying we've been doing this thing for months and this is my mind is officially blown. You no, you, you can refresh. Yeah. Yes. Go, go ahead, ahead, Seth. No, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, like Susan and I are both jumping in on this one, right? <laughs> so this is one of my favorite things that you learn in law school. So here's a law school lesson. If I ask you a question and you don't remember exactly. Pete, and then yeah. you're not allowed to have your notes there. Uh-huh. I can then ask you. So here's the hypothetical law school question. Mr. Wright, do you remember the murder happening on this day? And you're like, nah, I, I, I kind of like vaguely, I don't really. Is there anything that could refresh your recollection, i.e. lawyer speak for make you remember the murder that happened in the Italian restaurant on that day? And you're like, yes. Well, what would that be? A plate of spaghetti. And I bring in a plate of spaghetti and you smell the spaghetti and you can almost taste the sauce. And then I say, now that you've smelled the spaghetti, does that refresh your recollection? And I say, I'd like a glass of wine now, please. Exactly. A nice Chianti. (laughs) A nice Chianti. (laughs) And yes, what happened? The guy got whacked, right? Yeah, right, right. It can be anything, but usually it's, well... Do you remember exactly what your son earned in whatever grade on that English exam? No. Is there anything that would refresh your recollection? Yes. What? The report card. And they hand you the report card. You look at the report card. You study it for a minute. (laughs) You put it down. And then the lawyer says, does that refresh your recollection? Yes. What was the grade? It was an A, right? Yeah, right. We have to jump through all these silly hoops. And there's a lot of evidentiary reasons why. But- No, you don't just get your notes. And when you're in trial, I cannot tell if you've got a sticky note on your screen that you're reading from. I I have no idea. So that says he got whacked in the Italian restaurant. (laughs) Exactly. On March 14th, right? 
I, of course, feel like I should know that. Of course, I feel like I should know that. But my mind was just seriously blown because this whole Zoom thing, it throws all of that for a loop. I get it now. I get it. Well, it, it goes beyond that. And I love that, Seth, you brought this up. You know, the, one of the biggest concerns, especially for mediators, because mediation is a confidential process. What happens in mediation is not supposed to be shared outside the four walls of the mediation room, right? So here's your issue. Susan, let me let me let oh. me explain that. Let me explain that to Pete. Okay. Pete. <laughs> oh, is there Pete? What Pete? happens in yeah. Yes. There yeah. is. I welcome, take the lawyerese. Welcome, welcome to the right. slowdown moment here. Hold on. <laughs> what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Oh, okay. Hey, I get it. Let's go what on. What happens in mediation <laughs> stays in mediation. But you can't see what's outside of the four walls. You can't Who see what's outside. Who knows if there are 15 people yeah. coaching you on the other side of the monitor. I had it. I had a case where I was doing a mediation and husband, wife, me, the three thumbnails on the screen got through this two hour session. And then I get a call from the wife later in the day that she's just had a conversation with husband's new girlfriend who was sitting on the other side of the computer screen during the mediation session and who didn't like something the wife said about her. So they decided to get into a little tussle over it in the driveway at the drop off. Um so no, you don't know who's on the other side. And when the gentleman, I asked the husband why he let his girlfriend sit in on a confidential mediation session. He said, well, I didn't realize I couldn't. Yeah, to that point. Well, I, I think that's really, uh, that is a, a great point. So how do you handle that for, as an educator now? Both, you know, I, I guess there is this whole piece of you're having to educate people going into uh, this accelerated sort of Zoom experience, both in the technology and in the, the practical impl- legal implications of the technology. What's are, are they as shocked as I am? Please tell me no. Yeah, oh, no. This is like, you know, this is the, <laughs> yeah. the probably the number one question I get asked by professionals is how to handle the confidentiality. And it's it's much what Seth said earlier about preparation. A, a successful online mediation, online trial, online arbitration, online meeting is all in the preparation. It's 90% the preparation and then it's what goes in. But part of the preparation for anything that's virtual has to be setting some rules around what can and cannot be. You cannot have notes in front of you if you are a witness testifying. You cannot have your girlfriend sit in or other third parties who are not part of the the mediation process present in the room or who can overhear. You need to put them in writing. You need to communicate them to all the participants and you need to explain, educate them on why these are important and you need to make them mandatory. It's as much as you can do. You cannot go through that camera and look around to see who's in the room or to look at what the witness has in front of them on their desk. So you need to take charge by by taking control and setting those rules, making sure everybody knows about them. So that's a huge part of my training program. And I actually, one of the things that trainees receive is a copy of my guidelines and ground rules that I've developed over the years, a copy of the onboarding documents that I give to the attorneys, that I give to the clients, that I give to witnesses, you know, that I give to everybody so that they know, you know, Seth mentioned it earlier, you've got to have a good camera. 
so that people can see you. You have to be well lit so they can see the expression on your face. People, you need to have a good microphone. Um, 55 or 57% of our communication is our facial expression, but 35% is the inflection in our voice. So if you don't have good audio, then it, you know it's it's going to be an issue where people can't hear you. Good Wi-Fi. They need to have a good internet connection. You guys have probably all experienced the joy and fun of someone who has bad Wi-Fi connection when you're trying to tape a podcast episode. That's a delight, right? So the same mm-hmm. thing in a mediation right. or a, or a trial. If somebody's screen is constantly freezing or their audio is going all wonky with that weird noise. Um, it's not only a problem in the communication, it actually raises problems with unconscious bias. Because how irritated do you feel with the person who has bad Wi-Fi when you're trying to get something accomplished? That can be really, really destructive or upset or, or upset the apple cart, so to speak, in a mediation or trial. There's also just some practical things to put your put your zoom on gallery view and not speaker view because zoom only picks up one sound at a time. And if someone rustles some paper, it might switch to them even though they're not speaking. So it also makes the presentation easier to keep a lookout on people's eye movement. If they keep looking off to someone as if they're making it looking for the answer, that's another thing. Now I went to a zoom um, meeting where a judges put on a continuing legal education about Zoom trials. And they were very concerned that they weren't going to be able to judge character via Zoom. And to a person, they said, it's actually easier because I'm focused right on them. In the courtroom, as we all see in the movies, Pete, the witness box is off to the side. Yeah. So the judge is constantly turned or looking at evidence that's come in with their head down and making sure that it's getting recorded properly and entered into the court's docket system the way they do. So there's all these things that happen that can distract a judge from looking at the witness and the judge is doing their job and doing it very well. There's They are multitasking when they're up there. So... It is a benefit based on all of what Susan is saying on how we communicate as human beings. I, you both are bringing up a point that that I, I struggle with, you know, and, and Susan said unconscious bias. I, there is an issue of privilege, too, around this, right? That that people who live in places that do not have access to uh, the kind of Internet that we require to to be able to capture the nuance of, of you know, facial expression and the tones in our voices. Um, how much of this is a discussion that needs to happen of of privilege in the divorce process and uh are there risks of limiting fairness in this process because of this new world zoom order yeah this has definitely been an issue through covid right as the entire judicial system has had to move online as mediation and dispute resolution have moved online it's wonderful if you have clients or participants who have access to private high-speed internet um, and have the availability of a laptop which or or computer which allows them you know large thumbnails um but we have a large part of our population who does not have that privilege so you're 100% right this is an ongoing access to justice issue it's balanced by the fact that by you know you have 
communities. I just was doing a training for the um, New Mexico court system. And New Mexico is a state where it's very spread out. And some people just don't have access. If they don't have a vehicle, they don't have access to even get to the courthouse. But if they were able to access a proceeding online, they, they have more access to justice in that fashion. So it is a balance. And it is something where I know in Chicago, where I live, it was on our um, voting referendum to um, have uh, an allotment of money made available to make high speed um, internet access available throughout all of the communities of the city, um, as opposed to just the communities where it was, which actually tended to be divided upon racial lines um, in Chicago, um, which is a very segregated this city in and of itself. So that is an issue. One of the things that I found is the great leveler is the uh, is the phone. Um, almost everyone has access to a cell phone, um, most of which will have access to um, the bandwidth in order to be able to video conference successfully. Um, and so most people will be able to participate even if it's from the phone on a video basis, because that same bias that you were just talking about, Pete, applies to people who just phone in for a proceeding. If you are right. the one participant who's just a voice and everyone else is visible, there's just an imbalance right there in and of itself. And so I always am encouraging people. I get people all the time who's like, oh, I'm having a bad hair day um, or I'm still in my pajamas. I don't want to turn my camera That's on. That's what I say, Pete, right? having a bad hair day. <laughs> I didn't get the polish today. I'm not turning yeah, on. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, but to Susan's point about the phone, um, I think there's a couple points there is one, and this goes back to also Susan's point about preparation is you need to practice this with your client. If you're a client out there, you need to ask your lawyer, I want to make sure my video and sound is good, is acceptable here. I want to see, I want you to see the background that I have. Okay. And make sure everything is clear of clutter and all that. Cause the judge is taking all of that in. Uh, if you're in a trial situation, if you're in a mediation situation, you're not trying to persuade anyone there. So it's less important, but having good access is practice with the paralegal, practice with the legal assistant. If you are worried about it, ask your lawyer, do you have a laptop? Can I come to your office and sit in the conference room with a laptop? Just like I'm responsible to make sure my client is getting to court and knows how to get there and where it is. I feel as the lawyer, I'm responsible to make sure that my client understands what we need and to provide what we need to get them online so we can present our case. And that once again goes to making sure you are totally prepared. You want the technology to enhance your presentation, not detract from it, which takes practice. Seth, does that put a new uh, one of the things you've talked about in the past is, you know, if the client doesn't have access to the to the stuff that they need, they, you know, or, or can't get access to their account statements, whatever, they'll come in and they'll work with your paralegal and they'll go into the computer and they'll download all the stuff that you need. Does that put a new sort of responsibility as COVID kind of opens up on you and the firm to have client Zoom rooms, like a Zoom booth where they can go in with guaranteed great access and a screen and privacy to do the kinds of things that they're going to need to do in court. If Zoom booth becomes 
a new word or phrase in our lexicon, it's all right back to you. <laughs> I'm going to use it in my next presentation. I will fully I'll take give it. you attribution. <laughs> so I think that it is incumbent upon the attorney to make sure that there is a space in the office, and it can be a conference room that you would use anyway, yeah. to make sure that that is ready to go into practice. Um, I've done mediations where I've had a client in my conference room and I've been in my office and we're on Zoom. I actually loved it because the mediator was there. We were social distancing, but I also got that interaction where I could be like, okay, the mediator's in the other room. I'm going to come in and chat with you, put my mask on, go in the other room. And I, th I think it just made the client at ease and eliminated for clients the potential home distractions. Yes. Right. The dog, we've all seen it. I'm not going to tell anyone they don't know. And Susan hasn't experienced it. Pete, you haven't experienced, but the dog comes through. The kids come through. Uh, the the guy next door is mowing his yard. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, there's always something. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, I was on a meeting the other day, and they said it's it's not a COVID meeting without a technical problem these days. Yeah, uh, right, right. So I think all of that plays into it. Well, and, and who sets those standards? Like, right. I mean, there are standards for courtroom procedure that are set by, I don't know, the great body of courtroom procedure in the sky, the law. Right. But who sets those standards for Zoom? You know, and and is there is there an official way to do this? Right. And and who gets to decide what's the oh, official way bingo. to do this? <laughs> let's play bingo, Pete. You know what I'm yeah. going to say? Check your local jurisdiction. There you go. Um, but. In Hillsborough County, they've come out with, um, this is what you need to be. You're in court. They remind you, you're in a courtroom. Yeah. Okay. But I really think it's upon the lawyer to, to make that happen. And Susan, in mediations, do you believe it's on the lawyer that's representing them or you as the mediator to say, hey, this is what's happening? Who, who does that ultimately fall upon? Well, under the mediator's code of ethics, mediators are responsible for the process. So, but I believe strongly that a part of being responsible for the process is giving the information to your advocates that they then need to disseminate to their clients. Very often, we as the mediators do not have access directly to the clients if they're represented. So we have to educate the advocates on what they need to do. But I agree with what Seth said. I, I believe it borders on malpractice to not properly prepare your client for going into any type of a virtual setting that may affect their case, whether it's a deposition or a hearing or a mediation, you have to onboard your client properly. In fact, I've throughout COVID been hired by huge law firms to train, you know, their hundreds of attorneys on how to get their clients properly prepared to go into court. And I think that's an absolutely necessary part because you are going to prejudice your client if they show up and they have bad Wi-Fi or they don't know how to use the screen share or they have their camera set up so that this is what we're seeing, you know, the top <laughs> of their head. How I mean, how expressive is that is? It's like they're wearing a mask or my very favorite, the up the nose shot. I've seen more, uh, more of people's yeah. nostrils during COVID than I ever need to see. Um, or deep throat, right? Where they have the bright light behind them and no light in front of them. Um, so it's very important that people take the time and attorneys will have to change. You know, 
as as much as they love change, attorneys have, are going to have to adapt to what the client needs are. Um, and I think actually, I'm I'm I am going to glom Zoom Room because I do think I know firms that have instituted that they have virtual suites. You know, because what we're looking at for the future of virtual is hybrids. Um, as we get past uh, COVID and people can go back to being in person, what we're going to see for sure, 100%, is that some people are going to want to be in person and some people are going to beam in remotely. And you're going to have that in trials where witnesses or your experts who are you know, from California and you're having a trial in New York, they're not going to fly in anymore. They're going to beam in like the great and powerful Oz on the wall. Um, but you may have, you know, other witnesses who are in the courtroom. There is a huge psychological and technological challenges that come along with doing hybrids, um, whether they be hybrid trials or mediations. And that's where people really need to start stepping up their understanding of how to handle, you know, how do you handle it as a mediator? Seth, you can put yourself in these shoes. So you're there with your client and the mediator and the other attorney and client are on a screen on the wall. Just feel how that feels in the room and, you know, or where you're co-mediating and you have one mediator in the room and one mediator on the wall. Um, I've been that mediator on the wall. You get ignored. You know, you feel lesser. And that can be very destructive to the mediation process where neutrality and equality are so important in the feelings. So I know a lot of law firms that are instituting virtual suites. And uh, this idea of a Zoom room, think about you know, all of the co-working spaces that have the little mini like phone booths and stuff. A phone booth. Yeah. yeah you need a Zoom right. booth. You need a Zoom right. booth. I right. can see that being coming, you know, quite the thing for really fully equipped I'm just wondering firms. at what age that they're listening, like, what's a phone booth? Isn't that what Superman <laughs> oh, yeah. used, right? You know, Isn't that what Superman you know, when used? You dialed like this? That's like an onion of dating yourself. Yeah, There's I know. So, I'm going. We already didn't know what a phone booth was, but uh, Superman uh, was in it? Yeah. Well, wait a minute. Yeah, He's exactly. the one who talked about Hollywood squares. So, <laughs> Yeah, right. Circle gets right. the square, boomer. <laughs> And like Susan's like, oh, we need this. And here's where the future is going. And I'm just like, you know, what about my, my ro- oatmeal? <laughs> what about, can I get my Rolodex out? You know, and, and kids no longer sit on phone books when they need to reach up in the table. That's true. Like there are no so phone much books. Has, so much has changed in the world. I, I kind of, of imagine, Seth, that you have your cell phone, but you have one of those big shoulder arms that come off so you can <laughs> balance it on your yeah. shoulder. Remember that? I actually still have the first ever series of iPhone, Pete. You probably remember it was the rotary dial one. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, this is, I've, I've learned a ton. I feel like we could talk about this all day, but uh, uh, Susan, what a gift you are to our show. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for having me on. I, I could talk about this stuff all day, so I appreciate the opportunity. Well, like so many good Zoom podcasts, uh, we, we can we can actually let you go multitask now if you'd like. Uh, <laughs> That's right. so, she squeezed uh, us is, in, Pete. Right. She really <laughs> squeezed us in. I, I'll tell you, you you do need to. We we did our best to pitch you in the beginning in our little introduction of you, but we need to we need to hear from you. Where can people find all of the goodies that you are putting into the world? 
So my two podcasts are the Divorce and Beyond podcast. Um, you can find that on all major you know, podcast outlets or divorceandbeyondpod.com. And I have a members community there for people who want a little bit more um, of what I have. And then learn to mediate online.com is my training, one of my training websites uh, where you can find all the online stuff. I have free videos. Um, the podcast lives there, all kinds of information. And then Woody and I have now started the Mediation Academy. So it's called Mostyn Guthrie Academy. Uh, MostynGuthrie.com is the website. And we are doing really trying to bring top tier mediation trainings, collaborative law trainings to an online space. They're all virtual. Um, and we have several during the year. We've been really lucky. They've all sold out. Um, but we have a slate, I think, of five or six really unique trainings coming up. And so for the professionals out there who want to up level you know, their skill set, um, I highly recommend they go check that out. Excellent. Susan Guthrie, thank you so much. Uh, and Seth, always a pleasure, my friend. Always a pleasure, Pete. And like I said, we got our new BFF with Susan Guthrie. Life is I good. All right. Hey, I wanted to tell you as we wrap up, I got you a present. Do you want to know what it is? It's a, I got I'm you a, a little, present. I'm yeah. a little nervous about this. Toaster. All you got to do, I, I, I finally registered how to split a toaster.com. That's right. Amen, brother. If you want to find <laughs> us, visit how to split a toaster.com. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. On behalf of Susan Guthrie and Seth Nelson, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next season. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, uh, but we'll be back in a few weeks uh, right here on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. Seth Nelson is an attorney with Nelson Coster Family Law and Mediation with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of Nelson Coster. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida. Mm-hmm.